Well, I'm really happy that we still have somewhat of a packed house. If there ever was a message that was going to spook some people, last week was it. Right? So you've come back, right? All right. Why don't you open up to 1 Corinthians? <laughs> oh, we're going 1 Corinthians 16. Yeah. Uh, but here it is, right? For those that are online watching or if you're new to this sermon series, right? <clears throat> it's been my opinion that there is a spirit that has fallen on the earth, and that spirit is to try to redirect a narrative, come up with its own narrative of the earth, of the future of the earth, of the past of the earth, and then, in fact, how we are to engage in life, right? And so this is kind of like, you know, uh, I don't want to say basics. I wouldn't quite say it's basics, but it is there are certain things, constructs, paradigms, order that the Lord has created, characteristics that are being brought into question for, in, in some regards, at least in Western culture, maybe for the first time. Um, and then, therefore, we need to give some teaching into that. So the next couple of weeks is going to be a little bit more uh, potentially teaching focus in terms of like doctrine and understanding. And I'm really excited for next week. Uh, Ruth is going to be teaching on uh, biblical femininity and what that looks like and, and, and what have you. So I can think of no other better person to teach on that than, than Ruth. Um, and that's not just because she's a female. I mean, she, she, she is an awesome teacher uh, and gives a lot of wisdom. Um, she's a mother. She is a wife. She is a national and even international speaker, I believe, as well, right? Um, and so, so much wisdom. So I am really excited um, to, to take notes on that one. But this week, biblical masculinity. Uh, I'm going to read um, from um, the ESV version because I really liked kind of an interpretation that they gave to the scripture. So if you're reading in some other translations, it may not be there. So this is uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. Did I say chapter 13? I meant verse 13. So, yeah. so I'm a little tired. Brandon and I cut down some trees yesterday. And uh, we'll just say there were a couple of mishaps. But everyone's good. Everyone's safe. All structures are secure. My back is a little sore. Yeah, I, I kind of fell off a roof, but it was okay. <laughs> yeah, what are you guys doing on Wednesday night now? Yeah, the pipes are good. Yeah, last week was pipes. This week was falling off a barn. It, it was all good. First Corinthians 16, verse 13, right from the ESV. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. So a little parenthesis, um, comma, comma, is... Act like men. So this, this version is saying this, right? I really like this. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. All right? All right. So this sermon, I got some difficulties with this one. These are difficult. There are some difficulties with this one, right? Um, and what are they? One is, you know, you know to be honest... As a pastor, you know, when you go and teach something, you ask yourself the question, am I properly equipped to teach something, 
right? And I think with the favor, or rather the grace of the Lord, there is grace there that you don't have to be necessarily exuding all things, uh, because there is a grace of the Lord, and I'll be honest, you know, during the week when I'm, when I'm preparing this stuff, it's like the Lord is teaching me and instructing me. So I just want you to know, like, I'm not saying, like, I have this figured out. In fact, it's, it's very humbling because you don't want to be a hypocrite when you teach, right? But this is part of the element of it, right? Like, so am I walking in this? And just like every other Sunday, am I walking in what may be done? Um, but the Lord has a way, right, through his grace to pinpoint some things and to be gentle with me and say, hey, you're good, brother. You're on the road on the way, and you just keep going, right? And so I think that's a beautiful thing to understand, right? Your son, your daughter of the Lord, we're not perfect, but we're perfect in his eyes. And we get to embrace that we are, as the scriptures say, we are like daily being transformed, right? And so it's, it's, it's not like you're, you have to be transformed. It's you are transforming. It's a process, right? Second one, over 50% of you are female. So how on earth do I make this relatable to you guys, right? Uh, but here's the truth. The truth is many of the characteristics, honestly, many of the characteristics, almost all the characteristics of biblical masculinity, almost all of them, and you could probably argue maybe all of them, are really just biblical character traits, whether male or female. I mean, and anyone who's, you know, questioned that all you got to do is crack open the Bible and read stories like Deborah. A general... In the army of Israel? Yael, or in English, Jael. Another warrior. Priscilla, the New Testament, an apostle. She's a female, female apostle in the New Testament, Priscilla. Um, so there is room for that. But here's an, yet another difficulty, right? We're living in an age where the media is really highlighting, or at least it was, because the media always needs something, right? So right now it's COVID, so all the other stuff they forget about, right? But it wasn't too long ago that we were all talking about toxic masculinity. Here's the truth, right? For the record, there is biblical masculinity that men are called to live out. And then, of course, there's also a negative form of, I don't even want to call it masculinity, but there's a negative form of this quote-unquote masculinity that society and media try to promote. And look, uh, masculinity is not bad. It's crazy that you even have to say that, right? Masculinity is not bad. It is godly if it's biblical masculinity. And so going forward, if you hear me say the word toxic masculinity, what do I mean by this? I mean those characteristics that do not align with biblical masculinity. Okay? So toxic masculinity, the way that I'm referring to it is any characteristic that the media and is in society is trying to say that men act in, it's toxic if it does not align with what the Lord says a man is to be. Amen? So there's a problem with this whole sermon series in terms of the narrative. And it's this. In culture and in, in many regards, unfortunately, in church, there has been a lot of confusion. There's been a lot of confusion on female roles. There's a lot of confusion on male roles. There's a lot of confusion of what one is, right, through gender exploration and fluidity that, that the culture is trying to promote, which all is vehemently against the Lord, right? But things get a little bit more complicated when you slow things down and you start plugging into what 
is really happening on earth. And I believe that all of these things that are happening on earth are flat out, right, out of the blueprint and game plan of the enemy, right? The enemy wants confusion. When you're confusion, you will make bad decisions. When there's confusion in the family unit, when there's confusion in people, um, he can just have a field day with you, right? And he can try to execute his plan on earth, right? Uh, and he is, and he has been, warring after men. He wars after children. He war, wars after females as well, of course. But I'm telling you, he really has a bone to pick with men. He really does. Because we know this to be true, the way the Lord has set things up, right? If a, if a father, particularly in the family unit, um, is not living out biblical masculinity, the children will follow. And then the next generation, it's even harder for that young man to grow up to be a man in a godly sense. So if he starts going after generations, and each generation gets a little weaker, a little easier, a little weaker, a little easier, until eventually you come to a place where um, there aren't many men. There are a lot of people with XY chromosomes, but I don't know if there's a lot of men. Right? There's a lot of people that are genetically, biologically, all male. I don't know if they're really a male, though, in terms of living out the call of the Lord. Right? And so, look, this, I, I do believe, honestly, I, I believe that this has been orchestrated from the enemy. This has been orchestrated from the enemy. We just take a look at the media. This, this, I, I mean, I came across this several years ago. I think I even preached into this. One of the Father's Day messages, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, you can go on our website. Uh, it might have been two Father's Days ago, maybe even three at this point. I don't know. We were talking about some of this stuff, but the media... The media, media really shows no real uh, male role models. It's like pretty much non-existent in terms of like movies, in terms of TV shows, right? It's like, like non-existent. For example, like the, the male role in almost every character in digital media is either violent, right? Your James Bond type or your John Wick type. It's like to be a man, you need to be violent and hurt people and kill people, and sometimes for good and sometimes for bad, but, you know, it's all about the violence-esque kind of thing, and the guns and the, the knives and the, the fighting, right? So you got the violent archetype, that that's what a male is. Then, of course, you have the womanizer, right, that you exude and show your, 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 uh, your manhood by being a womanizer, you know, um, which obviously is not what you want the role model to be. And then there's another one, which I think is more subversive and is more sensitive and is more cunning. And it's this, the father particularly, or a male, who is the buffoon, right? He's like, he's like, he's not a jokester or a comedian. He's like, he cannot get through life without a female who can tie his shoes, right? Um, there's lots of TV shows like that. The one that really jumps out at me was that TV show, A Big Bang Theory where the males in that were just like, they, they couldn't do anything. Uh, and even my kids, you know, they'll watch like a, a show on like Disney Plus and you think it's a totally like wholesome family show and it is somewhat wholesome, but the father is like, he's juvenile, right? Like he, he doesn't know what's going on in the house. He doesn't know how to do things. Mom is always there to save him. It's almost like the father is a adult child, right? 
Uh, this is really how media is, is largely portraying it. Another very sophisticated piece to this are role models. Not many men, not many men at all, have good godly mentors. Not role models, but mentors. Right? Women, for some reason, culturally, maybe, the way that the Lord has made you, have a tendency to kind of flock together a little bit more. Guys don't really do that. Um, part of it's culture, part of it might just be some testosterone or whatever, but the reality here is many men forget about even a role model. A role model would be like someone on TV or someone that you can read about. I'm talking about a mentor, someone who's in your life weekly, who's showing you the path towards manhood, okay? It is very, very, very rare, okay? I'm telling you, ladies, it is extremely rare, okay? Why? Well, I think because males and women as well, but I think our culture is extremely busy, and uh, males still have a cultural pressure to be the primary breadwinner, whether they are or not is a different story, but there's still the pressure there, okay? Uh, and also, men generally are... Um, culturally, emotionally more standoffish, right? We've been taught by our culture not to show emotion. You have to have things figured out. You've got to be the strength, the bulwark of the family, this, that, and the other thing. Um, but if you compound that with everything else, that means that a male is, is actually largely going to be somewhat distant from other males. And you couple that with busyness and life, and it's like, we, we have a train wreck here. I was actually listening to a very interesting podcast uh, they're taking a look at the stats. This is a shocker when I heard it, but it totally makes sense. Men today are 40% less likely to engage in leisure time with other males than my parents' generation. And 60% less likely to engage in leisure time with other males than our grandparents. 60% less time. Now, you just think for a moment as you yourself as a male or you as a, uh, a woman um, and you look at your father or you look at your husband and just take a look. How much time do they have with other males? If you really do that, I bet you'd be pretty shocked. It is pretty minimum and it's 60% less than two generations ago, I think 30% less than the previous generation, right? So our grandparents' generation, I know it's kind of silly, but, you know, they'll go to the Moose Lodge, right? Or the American Legion Hall, or they'll have their bowling outing, or they'll do this, do that. Most men today do not interact with other males outside of work, let alone men of faith, which is a whole other ballgame. And so I don't know how we necessarily can make it happen in your family unit, but it is tremendously important for males to be with other males. And it's tremendously important for males to be with other males who may be older, who can show them a way and mentor them. Okay? But life is so busy, it's hard to do it. A third piece to this difficulty of biblical masculinity is this. It's a fantastic book that was written a while ago. I didn't read all of it, but I read sections of it in preparation for an old sermon series. And it's a book somewhere along the lines of the title of The Emasculation of Christianity. Uh, this is a very fascinating one and a very deep one and a very nuanced one, but it's this. There is a thought process that many of the masculine ap 
attributes of Christ and the masculine attributes of the church have been removed or have not been highlighted. This is very, very interesting. Very interesting if you really take a look at it. If you compare Christianity to other monotheistic religions, meaning Judaism and Islam, the number of men in the church is far less than in Judaism and in Islam. That's very fascinating. Okay? Uh, in Judaism, it's a, it's a pretty good split. In Islam, it's a little higher with, with males. And so these researchers and, and, and pastors and Christian academics are taking a look at this. Well, why is this? Why is it that for whatever reason in Christianity, men are less? If I take a look at this room, we are definitely more female. If I take a look at churches all across the country, it's definitely more female, right? It definitely is. Why is that, right? And so there's a whole bunch of different reasons for it. But one reason outlined in this book is that really Christianity has been emasculated, right? Male attributes of Christ, male attributes in the word have been removed, right? Um, very interesting. I mean, you know, I'm not necessarily walking out in judgment. I'm just de declaring, like, the reality of things. You know, uh, not too long ago, you might have songs even in worship that are songs that have this kind of flavor and taste of maybe, quote-unquote, being a little bit more masculine. Things like Onward Christian Soldier. The Rugged Cross. Right? There's, there's this kind of a little bit more... I hate to even say it, but I think you hear my heart. A little bit more of a male flavor to it. And a lot of it now is, you know, I love you, I love you, I love you. I mean, there's literally worship songs about, like, you know, a big sloppy kiss. Uh, uh, that, that was quite a controversial worship song. But if you listen to the tone of the music and the worship, a lot of it is very romantic. It's very poetic. Is there a place for that? Of, of, of course. But the general kind of theme has been we've been walking into it an element of a little bit more romantic language in worship. There's, there's nothing wrong with that to an extent, but things have to be in balance. And so one of the things here is like, it, you know, a guy walking off the street walks in and is listening to worship songs about very romantic type language. Um, it's going to be very hard for them to process that. Okay? You know, don't be mad at the messenger. It's just, this, these are some of the stats, right? Um, another interesting thing outlined in the, in, in, in the, in the, uh, in the book is this, uh, pastors have a tendency, uh, how do they phrase it? Because they wanted to be nice. Pastors have a tendency to be bookish, verbal, and poetic. And men on average don't have a tendency to be bookish, verbal, and poetic, Right? Anyone who's married to a man could probably understand, like, how he's not, how come he's not so poetic? He doesn't talk on verbal as much as, as I would like, right? So it's this kind of notion that even worship leaders or pastors or elders in the church, that they're not necessarily exuding what would be culturally, at least, culturally, uh, quote-unquote masculine. And so guys have a hard time engaging in that, to be quite honest. I mean, I know my uncle is, a, is, is like... A, Big time case. I mean, I remember as a kid, he talked to my mom and my my dad and my aunt and everything. Like, yeah, churches are just like the. He just he was back in the eighties and nineties. He without being able to necessarily verbalize this, because he's like a very typical kind of stereotypical male. He was verbalizing these things like it's 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 not very quote unquote manly. But Jesus was manly. 
He absolutely was. The disciples were manly, right? Biblically manly. But have we lost some of that, right? Now, you may just say, well, just get over it. Well, you could just get over it, but there's also a thing called testosterone, right? A chemical, which we men and you females also have, but we have more of it. And because we have more of that, that changes some of our behavior and even some of the ways that we look at things, right? Uh, yes, a male, you should be in tune with your emotions, absolutely. But there's also this thing of testosterone that is going to be energizing and could manifest as aggression if it's not channeled the right way, right? And what is this testosterone? It is kind of like a chutzpah kind of chemical that gets you going to do things. Males, generally speaking, are task-oriented, right? Go, go ask my wife. Like, if I have my mind on something, I am not going to eat until that task is done, right? It's just, that's the way it is. And so another piece of this is that in the church, we haven't really been talking too much about tasks, We've been talking about relationship. Amen. We should be talking about relationship. We absolutely need to be talking about relationships. But we also have to be talking about tasks. We have to be talking about projects. We have to be talking about this is the mission, and this is how we go get that mission. And that kind of verbiage really speaks to the heartstrings of a man. Okay? Because men, by and large, are kind of built that way. And not all men are built that way, I understand. But we are, generally speaking, a little bit more project and task oriented, okay? So this is kind of the, the rhetoric that this is what's been happening for the last couple of generations uh, in the church world, um, and maybe that's one reason. Now, with that being said, Christianity makes males and females submit, right? Um, and love. And so maybe that's, maybe some guys have a hang up on that kind of stuff as well, but I do think that there, if you take a look over generations, there's less and less men in the church each generation. There's something to it. Another little issue here is this. I do believe the masculinity piece uh, that men have in large, culturally, an identity and role crisis. In this postmodern world that we're in, those things that were almost entirely done by males are now not as needed. Okay, let me explain. In the past, if you take a look at uh, human history, human history was pretty violent. It was pretty dang tough. You needed soldiers. You needed men to fight. We live, thank the Lord, in a society now where we don't need that as much. Okay? We don't have tribes and bands of people coming into our community looking to rape, pillage, and steal everything. Okay? Uh, our military is so phenomenally good and technological that we do not need many soldiers. Men do not have to be soldiers. This is not Sparta. This is not Athens. This is not Rome. This is not even the American Revolution. Like, we just don't need you for that role. Okay? If you want to be, you can, but you don't, we don't need you. That's a piece because of how males function for thousands of years. Another one that has been more in question is this, the whole notion of being the breadwinner, right? In the past, males got their identity in, I'm going to be the breadwinner. I'm going to work, and I'm going to make money, and I'm going to provide. 
And that's what it means to be masculine. That's what it means to be a male. That's what it means to be a husband, right? Guys, we don't need you as much anymore. We don't, right? Since females are entering into the workplace, we don't need the husbands, the fathers, to be focused on that nearly as much as when my parents were growing up. I mean, back in the 1950s, I'm not saying it's correct. Please hear my heart. I'm not saying, like, women need to stay home. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying here is the fact that the role of two generations ago is this is what the male is doing. There's something for the male to have a task to do. So he's going to do it. And he's going to get his identity from that. And that also is not good. Now, all of these little problems that I outlined to you can actually be good things. Why can they be good things? Because they're exposing a truth. And the truth is, your masculinity cannot come from the media, cannot come from role models, cannot come from like the church worship set or how the pastor exudes himself. And it cannot come from your identity working, and it cannot come from your identity of being a soldier or whatever. So these things can actually be a good thing because it's exposing a truth. And the truth is, in the church world also, but also culturally, the foundational principles of proper biblical masculinity have not been properly looked at. Then, therefore, this gives us an opportunity to look at that, which we may not have had two, years, uh, two generations ago. You'd be like, oh, be a man, go out to work and provide for your family. No, that's not, that's not full biblical masculinity. It's part of it, but it's not full biblical masculinity. So it gives us this opportunity to evaluate. Now, I do not have faith in society that society is going to rewrite this whole masculinity piece. Not a chance. Uh, very, very ironically, if you listen to the word choice, I don't have faith in society, but I do have faith in the bride. The bride, the church, can rewrite the ship by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look, right? 2 Samuel 23. Let's try to get into this, right? <clears throat> so, you know, I, I could get up here, which many of my male friends in the church wanted me to do. And I could teach about bravery and courage tenacity, valor, strength. Go teach about David's mighty men. Well, we will a little bit. But there's an, there's an interesting piece to this. David's mighty men. All right, during the time of King David, and he's at war, King David had 37, actually, if you count them up, it says 30 of men, but... It's a, it's a device that's referring to that the number is in the 30s. But he had 37 mighty men of warriors, right? Three of which are ex very specific. They were like the warriors of the warriors, right? Let's take a look at them. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men. So these are three specific ones David had. Josheb the Bashavet, the Takmonite, chief among the captains. He was called Adino the Esnite. Because he had killed 800 men at one time. Wow. All right. Verse 11. No, I'm sorry, verse 9. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defeated the Philistines, who gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary. His hand had struck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. Third, and after him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Ararite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where 
there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Man, we could talk about such things at the, the men's retreat, but when I take a look at this, man, I could say, man, biblical masculinity, bravery, courage, valor, virtue, temperance, strength. Amen. Yes, all of it is truth, and if you don't have it, you got to go get it. You're not going to get it until you have a mentor in your life. Sermon over. Seriously, these are absolutely biblical masculine traits. Bravery, courage, valor, virtue, temperance, strength. Yes, it's all true, but then I had a daughter. Then I had a second daughter. Then I had a third daughter. And I'm telling you, they are daughters of the living God. They are warrior princesses. And then therefore, they are to be warriors. And then therefore, both a male and a female should be brave, should have courage, should have valor, should have virtue, should have temperance, should have strength. It's like, Lord, then how do I teach them biblical masculinity? Come on, let's be real here, man. I don't want my three daughters being some kind of like wimpy, podunk girl that's just like, Whoa. I want them to be warriors for the Lord. I want them to have a sense of independence. I want them to be strong. I want them to be virtuous. I want them to be courageous. So instead of teaching biblical masculinity, I just say, let's just teach biblical traits. You see how difficult this is? Now, I know we can go and we can just teach those things. Temperance and valor and courage and all this stuff. Wah, wah, and call it a Bible mention, you know, Bible message on being a man. It's like, well, bro, if you had a couple daughters, you'd understand. You want those things in your daughters as well. See, it's, it's a little more complicated than you think. Now, it gets more complicated because I had three daughters, man. I had three daughters, and I'll tell you, I remember when Naomi was in the womb, we went over to my mom's house, or Michelle went over to my mom's house, it was like a ladies' thing, and they were just prophesying, prophesying over the baby. We wrote them down, and all the things that they were prophesying is Naomi. Now, I'm not going to embarrass her one day if she hears this, so I'm not going to say what they necessarily are, but let me tell you something. All three of them are different. All three of them, I pray, and I will teach those characteristics, but I remember the complexities of this. I want you to understand and see I'm telling you, seeing how the enemy wants to navigate things, man. I remember when Naomi was little, of course, you know, you got to do the thing, right? You got to go and watch the, the Disney things. And I was like, man, all of these programs, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, The Little Mermaid, all of them are these females that are looking around for Prince Charming. And once they get Prince Charming, he's going to save them. And now they're complete. And now they can be a princess. And now they can find it. It's like, I never really thought about it until Naomi at age three or four. I was like, I don't want to watch Snow White. I want to watch Moses. I don't watch the Ten Commandments. I'm like, okay, I'm all about that. And Michelle, as my, my witness, I'm telling you, we went through an escapade, man. An escapade with this little fiery one. She refused to put on a shirt for I don't know how many months, okay? Now, like, she's like three or four, maybe she was four, and we didn't know what to do, right? Like, she's four. Like, a four-year-old girl, 
like go out and not have a shirt on playing in the pool. You know, maybe it starts to get a little like weird, you know, to be honest. At like one point you're like, so we're like, well, we gotta like, start training her a little bit. We're like, no, you have to wear a shirt. She's like, I'm not wearing a shirt. I'm like, you got, this girl's like three years old, four years old. What is going on here? We're like, well, trying to make some kind of peace at home. We're like, you don't have to wear a shirt when you're inside. But you have to wear a shirt when you go outside. She's like, okay, I'm not going outside. <laughs> this girl for like three months, I'm not kidding, this kid, she loves being outside. She would not go outside because she had to put a shirt on. I don't get it. How come I have to put a shirt on? Dad doesn't have to wear a shirt at the pool or whatever. And I started asking her, like, well, what, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up, this thing and that? And you know how you know, we talk to our kids. And she's like, I want to be a boy. You're like, oh, man, you know, 21st century, well, you, know, you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, uh, what do you mean you want to be a boy? Boys have all the fun. Like, what do you mean? Boys get to play. You know, boys get to play football. Boys get to go out and go on adventures. And boys get to do this, that, and everything. Now, Michelle is a pretty adventurous female, to be quite honest, right? And I'm trying to figure out, like, where is she getting this stuff from? She doesn't want to be a female that is sitting around waiting to get saved by some male. Amen. That's a warrior princess. That's a Deborah. That's a Yael. That's a Priscilla. Come on, we don't raise women that are just looking to be saved by some Prince Charming. Get out of town. Not in the Green Uncle household. Sorry, you boys out there. Pick up, you know, pick up your, your whatever, your pace a little bit. Heck yeah, right? I look at the Pasquale's. Um, they got, you know, two boys. So, yeah, it, look, it's, 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 it's a fascinating one. So I was like, I got it. I got it, man. I, I got it. I'm going to, I'm, I got to figure out a movie. So I start talking, I actually start talking to the teenage girls at, in, my, in my classroom. I'm like, yeah, I need a, I need a movie that's like a strong female role. And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Mulan. I'm like, we're going to watch Mulan, girls. We sit down and watch it. Halfway through it, I'm like. She has to pretend to be a boy in order to go out and fight. And I was like, I think I'm going to make things better. I just what? I just reaffirmed her belief. I'm like, ah. So then people are like, what's your favorite Disney movie? I'm like. Maybe, sort of. But in that movie, I'm like, you know, really, do you get into the psychology and the spirit of Disney? Every single movie, first opening scene, parents die. Well, that's a whole other story of, you know, pagan goddesses and stuff, but we won't, we won't gun gods, but I don't really necessarily go down that. But I was like, oh, brave. She's a strong female, right? She's definitely a strong female. But then she's got, like, this whole mom stuff, right? She's got, like, this, she's got these issues with mom and and all this kind of stuff. So I was like, oh, that wasn't so much of a great choice anyway, right? So all I'm trying to say here is this, right? Is that these things are culturally really deep. What I'm also saying here is, I, I, and, and, and you know, I believe this even more so now having three daughters, that these supposed biblically masculine traits are not supposed biblically masculine traits. They are the traits of believers. Virtue, temperance, strength, courage, 
bravery. They are for all. Because you're a warriors of the Lord. Right? The kingdom of God does not produce weak people in the spirit. Okay? So I want to make that very clear. But with that being said, I'm like, Lord, I'm supposed to be teaching on biblical masculinity. I'm like getting all pumped up. I don't teach about courage and strength. And... Look, man, I'm telling you, if you, if you, if you, if you, go, to the, if you go to the Lord with a pure heart, he says, show me your ways. Really show me your ways. Look, that's a tough thing to do because sometimes you're like, wait a minute. What I thought was the way is not the way. But I do think that there's a truth in the origin there's truth in origins. There's truth in the word. There's truth in... So let's really get in. And to the best of my knowledge, as of now, as working theology, I do think that there is actually not too many things that are specifically given to a male to exude. I think most of the things that we usually talk about are for both. And if you had to say, well, if we had to pinpoint... Yes, men, be strong. Yes, men, go provide for your family. Yes, men, be courageous. Yes, men, do that. But you know what? You ladies, you do the same, right? It's the, it really is the same. So it really kind of paints yourself into a corner. What really then differentiates biblical masculinity? Because, yes, biblical masculinity is all of those things which I already said, but they're also biblical femininity in, in a way as well. So this is the best I can do, man. So sorry if you, if, if you don't like it or you're like... Thought we were going to talk about war. This is the best I can get. Like I said, it's a working theology, so you know, maybe like six months from now, I'm like, actually, I found some more. But this is all I can really figure out. Here we go, Genesis 2. Genesis 2, the origins, the truth and origins. Come on, man, I cut down a tree yesterday. Can a woman cut down a tree? Yes, and I hope my daughters do. But they need a friend. <laughs> right, Brandon? <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. My back is hurting. All right. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. Here we go. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree to grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man, the man. It's very important. We don't necessarily always read these stories very closely. Then the Lord God took the man, Adam. Eve is not there yet. He took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 21. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he brought into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She, she shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. I want to read that again. Some of, your, some of moms out there need to read that. Seriously. This is, this is, 
This, I mean, people get slack for this, but they're actually just doing what the Bible says. I'm going to read it again. Sorry for those that have boys. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's a very interesting word choice here, okay? It doesn't say that the woman is going to leave her family. It doesn't say the woman is going to leave her mother and father. It doesn't say that, okay? They're, they're, and, and it's weird because for, for, uh, my experience has been largely, largely, and, and it has to be done in balance. It has to be done correctly. You hear, I hope you hear my heart. But there is a tendency through my experience for males to essentially assist and be with their wife's family. Maybe a little bit more than their own family. That, that there's a tendency in that. Now, it needs to be done correctly. As a male, you don't just say goodbye to your parents and never see them again. And you're not like, well, we're not doing Thanksgiving or Christmas with you. That's not what I'm saying. There needs to be appropriate balance and value with it. But there seems to be in the origins of truth that there is a godly principle where a, a, a female appears to have a little bit deeper connection to her mother and father after being wed. And the husband seems to have a freedom and a grace to move a bit away from their mother and father. I, I, don't, I mean, the, things have to be done in balance. I, th- I hope you hear my heart. Like, I'm not advocating, like, you never see your parents again or do any of the hollies with them. No, 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 not at all. But there appears to be some form of biblical principle here. But you have to do it in balance, right? It's, it's not healthy to, you know, all holidays and all dinners with one side of the family. That is not good. But there seems to be this mojo here, right? And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed, all right? So what do we have here in this origin story, right? Very interesting. God makes the Garden of Eden. He needs someone to take care of it, a steward of the garden, and he makes man. Man, Adam, is made to take care of the garden. Then, he needs a helper, Eve. Actually, it says, a helper which is comparable to him. That's very interesting. A helper that is comparable to him. This is very important. The scripture is saying that a woman is to be a helper, but also comparable to him. Not an opinionless servant in any way, shape, or form. Okay? Now, Eve, in my opinion, gets a really bad rap. She gets a really bad rap. Eve eats the apple. Eve convinces Adam. Sin enters the world. They're kicked out of paradise. And all the pastors mourn, not because of sin. But all the pastors mourn because this is the first time marriage counseling enters into humanity. Can you imagine that marriage counseling? Really? She ate an apple. Caused sin to enter in the world. And then she convinced me. Well, if we look closer at this story, this is a very phenomenal thing that's happening here. And I think this is the piece of biblical masculinity that that is in the origin story. To the best of my knowledge, when I read this, both accounts, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, 
God does not tell Eve, don't eat of the apple. He tells Adam. And what did Adam not do properly? He did not lead his wife and family in the things of the Lord. The person to blame in this, I think, without knowing all the nuances, is Adam. Adam had a responsibility. He knew what God said, and he had to lead his wife, and he did not. I don't know if he even told her. There's a nuance. It seems like he did tell her, but God did not tell her. So this is what I'm trying to get at. It's very important for biblical masculinity because I really do firmly believe. Oh, thanks, man. Is this. Pasquale, you mind? Open this up for me. Um, is this. The best I can render this is biblical masculinity, right? What we would think it would be is really so much of just what it means to be a son and daughter, like to be a confident human being in the Lord. And so what can, what can we say would be articulated as clearly biblical masculinity? And I think it's this. Men, you have a responsibility to lead. I think that's really what we have in biblical masculinity. You have a responsibility to lead your family. Adam was supposed to lead Eve. Now, there, there's clearly scriptures about this. I mean, look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, right? I mean, this is like church doctrine, how to govern. Paul is instructing the Corinthians on like real family stuff, okay? So 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, the head of Christ is God. We see here is the head of a household, the leadership position, the responsibility of leadership is in the hands of the male. Okay? I know in our modern times that it doesn't always sit well. And if your husband is not a believer, don't worry. The scriptures tell you what to do. That's a little bit more too specific and we could talk in a private meeting about that, because that's deeper in the weeds. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he may present her to himself a glorious church. So what do we have here? Uh, biblical masculinity is love. You are to love your wife, and you are to be the head of the household. Okay, so this raises a bunch of different questions. And it's this, can women lead? Yes, they can lead. We've got plenty of examples in the Bible. You have Deborah, who's a general of the army of Israel. You have Yael, who is like an assassin. You have Priscilla, who is an apostle. There are prophets in the New Testament, it seems to be, that are female. Okay, but I would say this. It appears that a woman leading, in some regards, I would say, is this. Please hear my heart. It seems like a, whim, a woman leading, it appears to be a gifting, not a mandate. Men, you have a mandate. A mandate from the Lord to lead. There's a difference. Women can lead, absolutely. It appears, in my opinion, to be a gifting that the Lord gives. Men, you don't have a choice. So if you're a father that doesn't lead, 
You have to. It's not a choice. It's a mandate from the Lord. Okay? This, of course, raises a lot of different things here. Uh, you know, look, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. It's the 21st century. We want to be true to the word. There's certain realities. Um, it's this. Uh, I honestly could say this. A husband, a man, a male is supposed to, to lead. And, and he's really supposed to lead by example. I, I think that's really what's going on here, right? It's not leading like do this, dictate this. It's, it's a leading of example, a leading of how you lead your home and how you engage the Lord and, and your priorities and what you say is important, what you say is not important. And I'm telling you, I mean, I, I think any mother or father can say this. When you have kids, like if dad is making certain leadership decisions, my experience is the kids follow a little easier than with mom. Like, but mom, mom you know, it's, it's like mom gives a directive and sometimes kids are like, okay, but they, a lot of times will now go to dad to ask. And if dad says, this is it, I find that they follow, right? If, if I've seen it, you know, if, if I make a decision of like, we're going to eat vegetables or whatever, like the kids have more of a nuance to follow that. They do, right? But I would say this, you know, when it comes to real family dynamic, okay, it's not like the husband is, is dictatorial saying everything, like this is where we're going out to eat, that's it. Come on, men, you are to love your wives as Christ loves the church. Come on, right? I would say this, when it comes to big decisions, this is, this is really where things get in line. Not like, what, you know, what, what, are we, what color are we painting the wall in the house? It's not like where do we go out to eat or where are we go on vacation. Those are all... Silly things, and if you guys are fighting about that, man, you've missed so much of the love of the Lord and submission to one another, right? I would say this. When it comes to big decisions, I think this is really where it comes to a head outside of husbands and fathers leading by example is this. If there's a big decision to be made, um, what we have learned to do is just this. Michelle and I, if there is disagreement on big decisions, not if we do Chick-fil-A or if we do Chipotle, but like if there are big decisions, Right? like moving to a farm, right? We pray, because the reality here is this. The Holy Spirit that's in the husband is the Holy Spirit that's in the female. And if the Holy Spirit is alive and dwelling inside of you, if you ask him, he should be able to give counsel and wisdom because that's what his spirit is, right? So if you have two born-again, spirit-filled believers, and there's a big decision to be made, the Lord and the Holy Ghost does not want you to be divided. That's not his intent. That's not his desire. So the husband has to be willing to say, in a humbling mentality, maybe I have it wrong. And the wife has to be humble enough to say, maybe I have it wrong. Let's listen to the Lord. Let's fast. Let's hear from the Lord. Okay? And my experience with Michelle is nine times out of ten, the Lord brings agreement. And usually what it is is I have part of the answer. She has part of the answer. He brings it together, and it's a better option. That's usually what happens. But this is the hard part. If there is that disagreement, the husband's role is to lead. And women need to submit to that. I don't think that happens too often if you're really born again. And if you're really Holy Ghost filled, like 
Holy Spirit, it's your job to give counsel in this matter. It, it happens, in my experience, not too often, but it does happen. So men, sorry, I should say, do women lead? Yes, you're a son and daughter, or you're a daughter of the Lord. There should be elements of you leading. But as a position, as a position, I think it's, it's more of a gifting, uh, but for, for men, it's a mandate, okay? Uh, and so let's take a look at this. C.S. Lewis put it very interestingly. Um, we make men, we make men, culture makes men without chests, and then expect from them virtue and enterprise. This is from the abolition of man. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in a mist. It's like this. It's like we are shocked that we don't have men acting like men. Like we're shocked by it. Well, you shouldn't be shocked by it. You can't be shocked by it because he argues we have not made men with chests. Now, when you read that men with chests, you're like, oh, well, like he could bench press 250, 225, 200. No, that's not what C.S. Lewis is talking about. C.S. Lewis is actually doing a, a throwback to uh, Plato. And uh, Plato talks about, like, your mental capacities and your passions are in your belly, right? Your reason is in your head and in your chest, in your heart, is the ability to take passion and to take logic and bring them together. So what does this really mean? You are raising men who do not have the ability to be wise to use reason and logic and prayer to come to correct decision-making. We don't raise up boys the right way. We do not treat men the right way. And then we laugh and you expect for them to be honorable and virtuous and temperate. You can't have both. You need to raise men up and you need to allow them to be in that kind of position of using their spirit man to be able to temper passion, but also temper logic, so they both come together. It's a little heady, but that's really what is being said there. So yes, men, you have a responsibility to lead, to lead your wife, to lead your children. The Holy Spirit has a major impact on that. But men, if you're not reading your word, you're not leading, right? If you're not coming to church, you're not leading, if you're not showing your daughters or your sons how to love on a woman, you're not doing your job. If you're not eating healthy, you're not doing your job. If you're not exercising, you're not doing your job. If you are not spending time with other men and having valuable relationships outside of work, you're not leading the right way. You're not, right? So this is really the, 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 the crutch of this. It's this. This is the hard, this is hard. And I'm not trying to trivialize this. This is, this is really hard. Women, you, you need to allow your husbands to lead. That is not easy in the 21st century. That is not easy with a warped sense of femininity. That is not easy if your men are not men yet. It's not easy, but it's a scripture. You need to let him lead, because your husband may not know how to lead. And if you're a pretty strong female, which I think my three daughters will be, at least my oldest, 
like you may not be comfortable allowing the husband to lead. It's hard. But I would also balance it out with this. Men, you need to give them someone worth following. If you're still a little boy, you ain't marrying my daughters. You, you need to show them what it means to be a son of Christ. You, you need to show them that you are a person that they would be willing to follow. And man, if you're not doing that, your wife is going to have one heck of a time trying to follow you. And she's going to be wrestling and she's going to be calling me on the phone. Like, how do I follow a man who's not worth following? And I'd be like, listen, hon, we should have talked about that 15 years ago before you married this guy. To be quite honest. But we're, we're, we're past that point. So now we need to figure it out. We need to figure it out. But some men who have not had strong fathers or role models may actually be very insecure in leading. So they step back because they've never seen it. They've never seen it in a biblical, loving way where you're not domineering and you're not controlling the whole house, but you're actually preferring your wife. And then when it comes to really tricky situations, you're telling the family, we're going to pray and fast until there's unity. And then if there is not unity, then you've got to step out and be that head. But really when Paul is saying be head of the church, he, uh, head of the house, he's, he's really referring to you need to lead with example. You need, to, you need to get your emotions under control. You need to be temperate. You need to get your life in order. You need to have Bible time. You need to have prayer time. You need to show your kids and your wife what it means to pray. Like this is what you've got to do. But this is the tricky one, man. Yeah, women, you need to allow your husband to leave. But men, you need to give them someone worth following. There you go. Just to clarify, because I jumped the gun because I felt it. But I, I, this, is, this, is like really, this is really important because, you know, this stuff, man, people, people get all whacked out with this, right? Look, there is such a place of the Holy Ghost in this. It's not even funny. Right? Men, by the power of the Holy Ghost, you need to lead by example. When it comes to these big decisions, it's not like, I'm the man, this is the way it is. What? Submit to one another. Love one another, right? Meet your wife where she's at in her understanding. Or maybe you got it wrong because you're not really thinking properly. Come on. You know how many things my wife is like advanced in than I am? If I'm leading, if I'm a good leader in a corporation, a church, or in a house, I'm going to purposely... Say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm the leader, but I see that you have greater wisdom in this than I do. So, you know what, Michelle, you, why don't you take the lead on this one? Because I actually, I, I see the wisdom and the gifting that the Lord has in you in this. So, actually, you know, you should, I should be listening to you right now. That's what good leadership does at a corporation, at a church, or in a family. Like, you're a leader, you recognize the giftings in other people. And you say, yeah, I, I need to submit to that, right? But with these big decisions, seriously, it's... it's the Holy Spirit wants unity. So he's going to bring it. You need to ask yourself this question, gentlemen and women. What do you want your daughters to see? What do you want your sons to see? And you come on up to me. Um, look, this is, I, I, I want my daughters to see a male that is loving their mother. I want my daughters to see that being 
Biblically masculine is not domineering, but it's loving and subduing. I'm subduing, submitting in love. I, I want them to see that dad doesn't have all the right answers and that he is wise enough to go to his helpmate that is comparable to him, as Genesis 2 says, to seek guidance. And here's the other thing, too, you know. Um, what do you want your sons to see? Will, will, they, will they see mothers who are allowing the, the father to, 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 to be a leader? Or will they always be or frequently being snuffing out that spirit in a man when he's trying to lead? Your, your, your little boys need to see that. Your little girls need to see that. So, in short, the best I can fathom as of now is that biblical masculinity is that you have a mandate to lead. That seems to be the differentiation. Women should lead and can lead, but it appears to be more of a gifting in the scripture opposed to a mandate. And so, look, in the past, maybe, or maybe not, I don't know, I wasn't living then, but in the past, maybe there were some things that people understood as more appropriate levels of masculinity. Here is uh, Rudyard Kipling, who gives a phenomenal poem called If. Beautiful poem. If we can hit play, please. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet don't look too good, nor talk too wise. If you can dream, and not make dreams your master. If you can think, and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to, broken, and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools, if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone 
And so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And, which is more, you'll be a man, my son. So, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. And as I even heard from my Liam, and have it in my notes, right? Really? And which is more, you'll be a man or a woman, son 